This show is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, the Justice League of board game podcasts. Find out more at Dicetower.com. Welcome to another episode of the Family Gamers Podcast. This is episode 314. Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome to the show. As always, I'm your host, Andrew, and I am joined by my lovely and, in fact, wonderful wife, Anitra. <laughs> That's me. And on this week's show, it is episode 314. You know, I said a couple of weeks ago that every once in a while, like, I find a fact and I want to park it, or I know that I've got a fact yes. and I want to park it for a while. This is one of those shows. So I have had this under my uh, proverbial cap, I suppose. For a little while, I would be ashamed of myself as a nerd if I did not point out the fact that this episode, episode number 314, is 314, like 3.14, which is pie. I love pie. Do you like pie? I I like both kinds of pie. Yeah. So we went apple picking this past weekend. I will be making an apple pie, but that is not the kind of pie I'm talking about this week. Although that's also good. All right. So uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you three facts about Pi, the mathematical concept of pi. So the symbol for pi has been used for over 250 years. The symbol was introduced by William Jones, a Welsh mathematician, in 1706. I know it's a Greek letter, but I mean as a mathematical To indicate thing. that concept. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The symbol was made popular by the mathematician. Oh, Leonard Euler. Yes, Leonard Euler. Leonhard, whatever. Whatever his name is. However okay. you say his name. He is famous for several other mathematical concepts as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, Number two, my number two fact for 3.14, the mathematical concept of pi is the record for reciting the most number of decimal places of pi was achieved by Rajveer Mina at VIT University, Velour, India on March 21st, 2015. He was able to recite 70,000 decimal places of pi. Wow. To maintain the sanctity of the record, he wore a blindfold during the duration of his recall, which took 10 hours. 10 hours. That's berserk. Like, he must have been doing the math in his head somehow. Because you can't remember 70,000 numbers. That's bananas. You could if you trained yourself and used lots of different tools along the way. 70,000, though? Like, I, I mean, I don't know, man. Because pi is an irrational number, so it I has got, no pattern in its decimal places. I've, I've got nine digits. That's all I got. I got 3.1415926, and I'm done. That's yeah, enough exactly. for me. Right. Okay. How about this one? This is my third and final fact, because I can't come up with 0.14 facts. Get it? Uh, Three? Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> about... Pi. Pi is actually part of Egyptian mythology. This is really interesting. People in Egypt believed that the pyramids of Giza were built on the principles of pi. The vertical height of the pyramids have the same relationship with the perimeter of their base as the relationship between a circle's radius and its circumference. Oh, so like if you took a circle and then the radius and then extended the radius upwards to make a cone and then kind of squared off the cone. Conceptually, yes. Oh, Interesting. That's very, very impressive for such ancient structures. Yeah. So anyway, so that is my fact this week. My facts, my three facts without a 0.14 fact, I apologize, for pi for our episode 314. At this point in the show, 
we are delighted to thank our sponsor, First Move Financial, and give you a little bit of a message from them. As a reminder, First Move is letting us know how they would work with a hypothetical young family earning a combined $100,000 with a net worth of around $25,000 and the goals of buying a home and starting a family in the next few years. While it isn't the highest priority for this pretend client, looking at and adjusting the investment allocation for this client would still be important. We would first go over their risk tolerance and their risk capacity. If you're invested in a way that won't let you sleep at night when the stock market is in freefall, like it has been recently, then you're being too aggressive. We would also want to make sure that the investments don't have too high fees, which we may not have much influence over with most of the investments being in employer-sponsored plans. This might also lead to discussions about future savings, making sure we're saving in the right accounts to have some tax diversification, and saving appropriately so that the money is available when it's needed without a tax penalty, if possible. Thanks again to First Move Financial for laying out a few aspects of how they would help a potential client. All right, and we've got one more fact for our potential client coming up next week. All right. Thanks again to First Move Financial for sponsoring the Family Gamers podcast. So as always, let's start off by talking about what we've been playing lately. All right, let's do that. So the first one I'm going to talk about is probably not a surprise to anybody who pays attention to the Family <laughs> Gamers community. We received a package from a Pegasus Spiel and a package from Lucky Duck Games on the same day. Yeah. And we pulled out three amazing looking games, Framework, Turtle Splash, and Fife. And we put it up to the community and said, hey, which one of these do you want us to make sure we play before the next episode of the Family Gamers podcast? And the votes came in, and the result was Fife. So we played Fife. So we played it. I'm not sure yet how I feel about Fife. I like the beachy abstract puzzle theme, but I played way too conservatively, and so I felt very disappointed in my ability to solve the puzzle, as it were. There is a lot of luck involved with what kind of tokens you pull and you have to use them at some point. Yeah, so this is an interesting game in the sense that, just like you said, there is a lot of luck. You have a grid of, I think it's a five by five five grid that you're going to be pulling tokens out of a bag and putting onto this grid. And these tokens have numbers, colors, and symbols on them. Mm -hmm. And a little bit of the kind of that whatnot cabinet kind of a, you know, idea and the cool thing about this game is that as you put these tokens on your board, you put surfboards with different kind of scoring uh, rules on the rows and columns and a couple of diagonals that those tokens are on. So if you put a token down and there is no surfboard pointing to it, you have to take one of the surfboards of these various collected uh, you know, scoring goals and put it on a row or a column or a diagonal that includes that token. So that part of it, I really, really like. It makes the game super dynamic. You can really do whatever you want to. It also makes it super strategic because you have to do multiple levels of planning in order to get both rows and columns that will match up. In fact, you get bonuses if you place a single token that completes multiple rows or columns at the same time, which is super interesting. But there is definitely a heavy luck component with what comes out of the bag. So this is the kind of game that 
is not going to land well for a deeply strategic gamer who doesn't like luck. I mean, we've all got those people in our lives, right? Yeah. So, you know, they don't like games like Quacks of Quedlinburg because if you just get unlucky and pull the wrong tokens out, you know, boo-hoo the game, right? Like, that's right. just how it is. But at the same time, this isn't really a game that you can play super casually. I mean, I guess you could, but I mean, to but play successfully, you have to use some strategy. A lot of strategy. And some of that that I missed this first time around is putting out those scoring conditions, mm-hmm. even being okay with not getting them all, but really trying to put a bunch out because you're not penalized for having a scoring condition you don't meet. Right. But at the same time, you can't replace the scoring conditions either. So you want to get them out there because you have to get them out there. But you also don't want to gum up the works and create a bunch of restrictions that you now are struggling to complete. So what the game does to mitigate some of this is it has these seashells and these seashells have special abilities on them. They're lucky something tiles. But the problem with the seashells is that you can only activate them if you pull a seashell When someone draws a seashell. And I think in our game... I think we pulled maybe two total one. for the whole game. Well, we pulled like two, that. and it was in the same round, so we oh, right. only, so only used one. Of them one. Counted. <laughs> and that was really, really tough. Like, those special lucky things are really helpful. It could be, like, swap mm-hmm. two tokens, take one off the board, blah, blah, blah. Replace a scoring condition. Yeah. So, I mean, it has some stuff to kind of make it a little bit more strategic, but it's really difficult to use them reliably because it's still based on luck to get them. Yeah. So, I mean, that part of it is a little bit tough. I almost wish that, like, once you hit three scoring things, you get to use a special power or something. You get a token and then you can execute that special power whenever you want to. You know, something like that. Some kind of, I don't know. But I really like the game. It was very much one of those games where you're like, hmm, I can do better next time. See, I'm looking forward to playing it again, but I didn't have that feeling I think because I had a real disconnect between it presenting as a very strategic puzzle and I set myself up and knew exactly what I wanted and tried to stay flexible and just didn't get any of it. So it didn't quite mesh for me that even when I was felt like I was doing everything right, it was just, oh, bad luck, oh, bad luck, oh, bad luck, kind of over and over again. And I'm like, well, if I had made different decisions really early in the game... Maybe that wouldn't have mattered, but by the time I'm even able to recognize that, it's like, these are decisions I would have had to make in the first three turns, and we're now on turn 20. Yeah, well, I mean, look, this is the reason why we play games multiple times when we review them, because, you know, the first game is always a learning game, and sometimes it goes really well the first time, and sometimes it doesn't, and that's okay. I mean, there are definitely games where we are aware that just luck is involved, and sometimes you just get unlucky and we've talked about this with like magic the gathering with our son asher where he's so aware that the cards that come out just might not be the right cards that he actually takes losing better sure so i mean that's definitely going to be part of this and you know if you are okay with the luck in a game like quacks you're probably going to be okay with the luck in a game like fife that's kind of my feelings on it you're just going to have to accept that sometimes you just get super unlucky and that's the way it is certain gamers I hate that. Our friend Dave, who has done some reviewing for the Family Gamers uh, website, this game is not for him. He would hate this game. Yeah, and I would not recommend this game to him. But, you know, you know yourself as a gamer. You're going to know if this is something that's going to bother you. The only other thing that I didn't like 
the boards are that kind of double thickness with like the mm-hmm. holes in them. So it's two pieces of cardboard glued together and every single one of them was like bent. Like not like creased bent, but they like, were they were bowed a little bit. Bowed. It didn't bother me at all. Well, it wouldn't have bothered me if you didn't slide the surfboards into the notches and the, so they were like going underneath the board. It was just a sure, little annoying. Sure. Just I mean, it's the kind of thing that I would wish that someone would mention to me if they were reviewing the game, just to be aware of. Fair um, enough. Yeah. So I, I don't know, maybe I don't, I don't we'll know. Try we'll try flattening them out with yeah, some heavy books I, I and see if that makes a difference. Bent mine a little bit and it fixed it a little bit. But right. I just think that's a problem with the multi layer boards because I've seen other games have the same problem. But anyway, sure. it's just something I wanted to mention. Uh, so we did, in fact, listen to the Family Gamers community. The Family Gamers voted for Fife. We played. We played Fife. Fife. We also have been playing a fair bit of Linnea Kea, or I, however we say it. I'm telling you, when I look through the S and Hot list, like that game just grabbed me and it has not disappointed. Yeah, we have been playing a fair bit of it. It's got that close two player strategic back and forth, you know, like a more complicated checkers or less complicated chess kind of feel. Mm-hmm. It's real good. I like that it makes you think in multiple dimensions, not just I want to move my pieces here and I want to block the opponent's pieces coming this way. But how do I order my move so that I end in the spot that I want to slide over and I don't end in a spot that I really want to stay the same? Yeah. The game works for me on so many different levels. (laughs) I really like it. It's great. It's also, you know, made of beautiful hardwood, which Mm -hmm. helps. Yeah, it's got that like really kind of peaceful zen kind of feel to it that like a game like Deblockle or Shobu has where it's made of natural pieces and it's just nice. It's the kind of game I wouldn't mind leaving on the table. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's see. What is next on my list? The next game on my list that I've been playing a little bit of is Cryptid Cafe. Yeah, so this is a game we got in for review mm-hmm. from 25th Century Games. Mm-hmm. The theme is really cute. I like the theme. And the art that goes with it is also really cute. The rest of it, I think I can see why this game is supposed to be fun, but I just did not have fun playing it. Yeah, unfortunately, I kind of feel the same way. I mean, this game just feels like one of these games where you're filling orders and serving patrons and, you know, you move on. And it's just a slightly different theme in the sense that it's creepy creatures. And there's some puns in the game, but I... It's fine. It's a serviceable game if that particular theme is the one that's going to grab you and get you to play one of these games. Okay. Um, I don't know that I really super love this style of game anyway, but for my dollar, I'm probably playing Kim Joy's Magic Bakery just because it's cooperative. And I mean, it just, I don't know, the dynamic is a little bit better for me. Yeah. There was something about this that just felt a little flat to me flat is a good word for it yeah that like something was missing and i can't quite put my finger on what it is but it just kind of felt after we did a round or two it just felt kind of predictable like oh more monsters are going to come out they hardly ever have an order where you could get all of the ingredients you need in one round so you're going to try to plan ahead and pull some of what you need now and some of what you'll need later and that's it yeah, so, I mean, bringing kind of Kim Joy's Magic Bakery back up, they added this campaign mechanic to that game, and I think that level of differentiation was really key in making that a game that we really enjoyed. Because, well, there were different challenges that came along. Right, yeah. exactly, exactly. So there was more to it than the base mechanic. 
because I think this style of game needs more to it than the base mechanic. Yes, I agree. And that's exactly where we are uh, with this title. So, yeah, I mean, look, it's not bad. It's just not great. Yeah. That's kind of where we're at with Cryptid Cafe. So the review for that will come out in the next couple of weeks or so. Uh, probably we'll probably round out Halloween with yeah. Cryptid Cafe. I finally got a chance to play Papageno with somebody. Yay! Yay! <laughs> it's very cute. So I'm very glad that Andrew picked this up for me at Essen. I hope that some of these games come to the States. I don't know if this one will or not. I think it will. I think that is the plan. Yeah, it's one of those kind of deep cuts of like, the name would not mean anything to you unless you were a fan of uh, Mozart. (laughs) (laughs) But so the game Papageno is that you are trying to collect birds. This is one of those games where you want to have the lowest possible score. So you're trying to collect the smallest, cutest birds. Uh, which are represented not just by being small on the card, but there's also a telephone wire. So like the zero value bird, the telephone wire is straight across and every larger bird, the telephone wire bends more and more and more. (laughs) So like the highest value bird, the nine, the telephone wire basically just disappears. You kind of see it on the two edges of the card and nowhere else. Cute. I really like that representation. The art is very cute. And this is a game in the same style as like a Cabo or a Silver. You are trying to have the lowest score as cards gradually get revealed over time. However, unlike those games, you don't get to know what is on your face down cards. The only way you can find out is by putting new cards into your tableau. So you're Okay. So your face down cards are almost more like a placeholder. Than anything else. Because you're never going to just want to keep them and risk it. I mean, generally speaking, yeah. I mean, in Cabo, you're not supposed to look at them after you look at them the first time. Right. But this is a, you don't even look at at them the first time. I see. You lay out six face down. You pick one. So you have one face up to begin with. Mm-hmm. And then the core of the game is that on your turn, you either draw a card off the top of the deck or you draw the top card of the discard pile. If it's off the deck, you can choose whether you want to replace a card in your tableau or just discard the card you drew. Obviously, if you take it off the discard, you know what you're getting, so you're definitely going to put it in your tableau somewhere. Whenever you put a card down in your tableau, that card is obviously now face up. Whatever card you replaced goes in the discard pile. Whether that card was previously face up or face down doesn't really matter. It's going face up in the discard pile. Wait, so if you draw off the top of the deck, do you get to look at it before putting it in your yes. tableau? Okay, okay, okay. Well, not you draw sure. off the top of the deck, you look at what the card is that you just drew, and then you decide what you're going to do with it. Gotcha. Okay. So that's the basic idea of the game. There is a little bit involved with the arrangement of cards in your tableau can change the point value. And then there are three kinds of special cards, one of whom is Papageno, the bird catcher. <laughs> He is worth a whopping 10 points. Mm -hmm. However, if you put him down in your tableau, you then can swap any one of your other cards that's face up with one of anybody else's cards that's face up. So if you've got, say, a nine somewhere and your opponent has a one or a zero, why not swap that out? (laughs) Sure. 
there's a little bit more to the, it than that, but that's the vast majority of the game right there. It's really cute. So we played it at two players. I'm looking forward to trying it at a higher player count. It goes up to five. And when you get more than two players, you add another special card that lets you basically rotate cards around the table. Sure, 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 sure. So it's a cute little game. I mean, it's not deep, but it's also small and super portable and goes fast. So nice. I'm liking it. Awesome. So uh, <laughs> I know it's not quite time for the monthly report for October, but I was nervously checking to make sure that I was still uh, on pace. I am technically still on pace, but I have a lot of work to do in the last 11 days of the month if I want to make it to one game a day. Mm. I have nothing else that I have played this week. It's been one of those weeks. That is it for me as well. I am just barely hanging on with an average of one game a day. All right. So. So we, uh, we're going to a friend's game night this weekend. So hopefully we'll get some new fresh stuff in, but I think we'll bring some party games as well. I think that sounds like a good idea. All right. Awesome. Well, that is what we've been playing. Anitra, did we ever say what we were going to talk about on this show? No, we didn't. We didn't at all. You just jumped right into what we've been playing? You jumped right into your pie facts. I mean, well, that's the first thing that we do. (laughs) Anyway, so on this episode of the Family Gamers Podcast, you probably already know this because I assume you looked at the title. We are going to look at top 10 games under $20. So we're getting close to that holiday season. We're in the middle of putting together our holiday gift guide, which is always popular. It's almost ready, but not quite yet. And... Uh, we wanted to kind of talk about this. It's a little bit of a redux, I guess, because we have, in fact, talked about games at Target and some other things like that. Uh, We've on done budget-friendly Budget stuff, yeah. yeah. But it's been a while. It's been over 100 episodes since we tried to deal Last with one of these yeah. uh, kind of topics. So uh, we thought we would uh, revisit this as we start to kick off the holiday season. So we are going to welcome our new Family Gamers community members from the Facebook community. And then after that, we're going to take a break and we're going to come back and we're going to talk about that top 10 list. All right. Do you want to get us started? Sure. We are welcoming six new members to the Family Gamers community. Hello. In this episode. So welcome to Numani. Welcome to Oliver. Welcome to David. Welcome to Nicole. Welcome to Sky. And welcome to Joe. We're so glad you joined the community We hope that you saw the post where we tagged you in the Family Gamers community. If you have not jumped over there and you're already in the community, please go say hello, welcome them, and make sure everybody knows what's up with the Family Gamers community. Yeah. We love talking about games, playing games with our kids, and uh, recommendations for the best ones to play. So for the best ones to play under $20, we'll be right back. It's almost Halloween. Our kids love dressing up and trick-or-treating. But what about the candy? Everyone loves candy. Boo! Ah! Ghosts love candy, too. This is a snap review for Ghosts Love Candy 2, a card game designed by Danny Devine. Ghosts Love Candy 2 is an update to his game Ghosts Love Candy that was originally published in 2016. The new version has more kids, more treats, and new ghosts. Two to six players ages eight and up can play Ghost Love Candy 2, which is published by 25th Century Games. So, Anitra, let's talk about the art in Ghost Love Candy 2. 
The art here is playful and perfect for this theme. Each ghost, there are 12 of them, has a distinct personality, and they're slightly translucent. There are a hundred unique kid cards in the game. Our family loved looking at all the costumes. And all the references. Although some of the cards are a little bit text heavy, the graphic design is really excellent. We never had questions about what a card does. So Nietzsche, what do the cards do? Let's talk about the mechanics in Ghost Love Candy 2. Your goal in Ghost Love Candy 2 is to collect your favorite candies and avoid being stuck with negative points from junk treats and scared kids. First, lay out the neighborhood, six kid cards, each with a single treat token. Then, every player chooses a ghost and takes the corresponding nine-card deck and a randomly chosen craving card, which tells you how valuable each candy type is for you. Everything from licorice to candy corn to gummies. You'll also start the game with a few randomized treat tokens in your stash. Every player chooses a ghost card from their hand and lays it face down. When everyone has chosen, reveal the cards. The player with the highest number goes first, then the next highest number, and so on. On your turn, place your chosen ghost card below a kid. Immediately take all the treats assigned to that kid, then resolve their ability. Most kids' abilities trigger immediately and can be anything from swap a junk treat from your stash for any treat in a player's stash to if you take more than one treat from the Plumber Brothers, you must give one to another player. Lastly, check to see if any of the kids in the neighborhood are now scared. That is, their courage number is equal or lower than the total value of the ghosts that are haunting them. The topmost ghost in the haunting must take the scared kid and add them to their stash. And a new kid joins the neighborhood immediately. Most scared kids are worth negative points, but a few of them actually do give bonuses. Then it's the next player's turn to haunt. When everyone has played their card for a round, add a new treat to every kid in the neighborhood, and start the next round. If you draw a junk treat, who gives a toothbrush? Add it to the kid anyway, and then add another treat token to balance it out. Play continues until all nine ghost cards have been used. Now it's time to tally points. First, check to see if any kids have end of game abilities and resolve them. Players get points based on their craving card for each piece of candy in their stash. Full size bars are always worth five points, but junk treats are worth negative one. Don't forget to subtract or add points for all the kids you scared and put in your stash. So, Andrew, what did we expect from Ghost Love Candy 2? Well, this game was designed by Danny Devine, who designed Sprawlopolis and Circle the Wagons, two games that we really like. We do. The theme and the art for the kids and the ghosts immediately drew me in. I loved all the references. I was laughing the entire time we played this game. But there was some things that surprised us about this. So what surprised us, Anitra? Well, there were two negative things about the game for us. At four or more players, it was common for the last player in a round to be faced with a choice between candy that wasn't valuable for them, worth zero or one, or a kid with no candy at all. We're getting used to it, but if you're just learning the game, that's a really hard choice to make. And even with fewer than four players, the game just felt a little bit too long. I could have stopped after seven or eight rounds instead of going the full nine. One last quick negative. Ties for turn order are resolved by drawing kid cards off the top of the deck and then comparing the card ID number. This is a number 1 through 100. I really hate how this turns ties into the luck of the draw. We played a game where I tied with other players four times out of nine cards and ended up losing the tie every time. On a positive note, 
I was surprised by the rulebook. It's very, cl very clear and gives rules for casual players and an even easier set of rules for pre-reading kids that might struggle with some of the math. It makes this game very family-friendly. So, Anitra, do we recommend Ghost Love Candy 2? Well, Ghost Love Candy 2 is a great fit for families who love dressing up and trick-or-treating. You can play it with pre-reading kids by ignoring the kid abilities and forcing players to give a candy back when they scare a kid instead of taking on negative points. Well, that sounds like a recommend to me. We think this would be a great addition to your family Halloween games, and we're going to rate it four out of five candies. And that's Ghost Love Candy 2 in, in a, a snap. snap. everybody we're going to talk about some inexpensive games that doesn't mean they are cheap like bad it means they are affordable like great not only that we tried to stick with ones that you will not have to go order online you should be able to find these games in your local target or barnes and noble or something like that yep yeah barnes and noble is a really good resource for board games at, at least you... around us it is yeah yeah i mean if you don't have a good friendly local game store near you barnes and noble should be your first choice really and then target those are some excellent options but let's get into our list so these are grouped by type they are not best to worst or worst to uh, best no. or anything like that some of these games so we also asked the family gamers community yes and we have a lot of great recommendations from the community which we'll go into at the end some of the games that are in our list are games that we had already come up with and then they were recommended by the community which is great uh, we always great minds think we, alike. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Great minds think alike. We always love it when we have some um, agreement on those kinds of things. But yeah, let's get into it. All right. So my first thought with games that are under twenty dollars is card games. Sure. I mean that, that's a really easy place to start, right? And when I think card games under twenty dollars, I have to go with Similo. Mm -hmm. There are so many versions of it. You can find it in. Target and Barnes and Noble, um, not to mention Amazon and every single friendly <laughs> game store on the planet sure. at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Similo is a great game and I love it. And it's cheap. <laughs> Inexpensive. <laughs> <laughs> so Similo is a really, really neat game with lots of different kind of flavors, right? So there's originally there were the fantasy ones. There was fables and history, right. and then they came out with animals, and wild animals, and, and myths, myths yep. and Harry Potter, and spookies, and there's a couple more that I can't remember right now, and the <laughs> there's a special lot. board game deck that we just got. Yep. There are a lot of versions of this. They are all good, and know your audience and pick the one that's right for them. Well, and you can mix them, too. Like, there's, oh, yeah. There's absolutely no reason why you can't just shuffle a couple of them together, mm -hmm. uh, which is really kind of a, a cool and fun way to kind of mix this thing up. So, Or you can use one deck for your tableau of 12 cards and a different deck for giving clues. That's really challenging. <laughs> yeah. So for those of you who don't know what Similo is, so in Similo, you have a clue giver who lays out a three by four grid of cards face up and selects one of them essentially at random. They can pick whatever they Secretly. want. It doesn't really matter. Secretly, that is the card that they want everyone else to guess. Yeah, it's the goal. And then they take a hand of cards. I think it's five, five? cards. Yeah. 
And for a series of rounds, they give clues to everybody on which cards are the right ones or the wrong ones. They give these clues simply by placing a card down and it is sort of straight up and down if it has something in common with the secret card or horizontal kind of sideways if it has something different than the secret card. That is all the clue giver is allowed to do. However, like a lot of these party games of this stripe nowadays, part of what makes this game great is that everybody else can talk amongst themselves and a good clue giver will use that information to give better clues later on in the round. Right. So the thing about this game that makes it really interesting is not only are you really limited to this binary choice and you can't even describe what that binary choice is, <laughs> which is really cool. So you might put a card down and essentially what you're saying is whatever the, the card is, is red. <laughs> No, but you can't say that. I know. That's what I'm saying. Like, you put a card down and you just say, either my card agrees with or does not agree with this card, or yeah. is like or is not like this card. Yeah. But it could be anything from the background to the way the person is looking to male or female. It could be like literally anything about it. And so not only are you trying to come up with a card that has a commonality or a difference but you're also trying to do it in a way where it's something that's clear enough that everybody else is going to guess the clue that you're giving. Yeah, I mean, you could even do era of history for the historical figures or part of the world it comes from, whatever. So like we said, part of this is listening to what your other players are saying and then bouncing off of that to give even better clues in the future. However, with each clue you give the more cards the guessers need to eliminate. And that was the next thing that I was going to say. So there's 12 cards down, which means there's 11 cards that are not the card that you want everybody to guess. On the first round, you remove one card. On the second round, you remove two. Third round, you remove three. Fourth round, you remove four. So yeah. on that fourth round, when you remove four, there's only six cards. Yeah, you there's only two four. cards left. <laughs> and that fifth round is basically, there's only two left. You need to, 50, 50, you need to strongly clue. Yes, <laughs> yes. So we love Simlo. It's just a great game and it's very inexpensive. It's a really neat game to play in a family setting because the only person who really even needs to know the rules at all is the clue giver. And everybody else can just kind of explain their way through and say, oh, well, we're trying to figure out which one, one of these cards is the correct one based on these clues that the clue giver is giving. So yeah. it's a great game to pull out at like Thanksgiving or something like that. Or there's a Spookies one that you could even pull out for the Halloween season. Yeah. I like how the difficulty ramps up to that in the first round, you're only trying to eliminate one card. So you're not even really trying to guess what the secret card is yet. You're just right. like, oh, well, this one card is definitely not it. Mm -hmm. So let's get rid of that. Yeah, exactly. And the next round, okay, these two cards are definitely not it. And so I like the way, you know, that kind of ramps up slowly. And that's part of what can draw people in. Yeah. And one of the things that's cool about this is because the clue giver is such an active participant in the kind of the crux of the game, not necessarily in the amount of time that they're engaged in doing the thing, because that conversation can go on for a long time. But because everything is indexed on what the clue giver is doing, 
we usually will start with a parent being a clue giver and all of the kids want to have the chance to get oh, clues, yeah. right? So everybody wants to get their hands on the cards and everybody wants to, you know, touch them and have fun with them and do all that stuff. And it really is a great way to have everybody learn how to take turns, but it also is an easy way to kind of bound the experience, right? Because you can keep playing this forever, but you can bound it by saying like, everybody's going to be the clue giver once and then we're going to be done. Yeah. So yeah. there's a lot of things about Similo and all the various Similos that just really work in a family context, multi-generational, et cetera. I, I just think it's a really good family game. And it's around $10. Can't beat that. Uh, well, you can beat that with our next example. I mean, price-wise, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> the next one on the list is Sushi Go. So the original Sushi Go, no extra stuff to it. These days, you can find for like six fifty. <laughs> yeah, they have this as like like a hanging tuck box at Target for under ten bucks. As part of Amazon Prime Days, I think it was three dollars. That doesn't surprise like, me either. It's absolutely ridiculous. It's but, a stocking stuffer, man. <laughs> yeah, but it is a great intro to drafting. It is not my favorite drafting game, but for five bucks, it is hard to beat. Yeah, and In- it's. Cute, it's easy to understand, it is a great stepping stone game. And in fact, you can often find the more expanded version, Sushi Go Party, for right around $20. So we love Sushi Go. The next one on the list is uh, kind of a two-parter, I'm going to cheat a little bit, and it is The Crew from Cosmos. So this is a really unique trick-taking game. I said I'm going to cheat a little bit because it is both The Crew and The Crew Mission Deep Sea, which is kind of the uh, sequel? I guess. Yeah. Uh, so, a lot of people like the different kinds of trick-taking puzzles in Deep Sea. So I guess I would sort of recommend that one over the original The Crew, but they're both excellent. Well, so this one I happen to be looking at Amazon right now. The Crew Quest for Planet Nine, the first one, is about 10 bucks, and The Crew Mission Deep Sea is 15 Either way, you are getting a great game with hours of really interesting trick-taking puzzles uh, for under $20. Can't complain about that. Hey, you can get both for $25, which is over our $20 threshold, (laughs) but not by much. So for that, I would recommend you head over to thefamilygamers.com because we did, in fact, do a review of the crew quest for Planet Nine. All right, one more card game. A Nietzsche's Hobby Horse. Cheap card game. <laughs> you can find it anywhere card games are sold. Monopoly Deal. I know, I know, but this is also a great sort of intro game for people who are like, oh, you know, games like Monopoly. Yes, this game is like Monopoly, but fast and cheap. And you won't want to murder each other at the end. Yeah, I mean, I guess I don't have the profoundly negative feelings about Monopoly that a lot of people do. It can be a long game, but I respect, you know, its presence in the world, so to speak. I, I don't I don't I, know how else to say yeah, it. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it definitely is the way to play the game that feels the most like Monopoly without pulling your hair out playing a game that feels like Monopoly. Yeah, and again, this is one of those, you know, mass market tuck box type games so you should be able to get it for under six dollars all right we are speeding up my dear okay that is it for card games we are going to move on to roll and write so there's actually probably a fair number of roll and write that could make it onto this list yes we're going to talk about the first one i have here is railroad inc 
Well, Railroad Inc. Challenge specifically, it is about the same price as Railroad Inc., but there's more to it. (laughs) You can play the traditional Railroad Inc. with Railroad Inc. Challenge, or you can set it up with these challenge cards that give you goals to meet that will give you extra points if you get them first. So Railroad Inc. and Railroad Inc. Challenge, etc. These games, I think, are a little bit more complicated. I think you can play them probably 10 plus. I don't think our eight-year-old could quite get there strategically just because there's the board and then there's kind of the extra stuff that you score. And I could see how it could be a little bit confusing for him. Uh, it could be. I haven't tried it with him, so I don't know. Right. Um, but I think 10 plus is probably about right. This is the most expensive game so far, <laughs> coming in at just under $20 most places. Well, there is another roll and write that I think does flex down to eight or maybe even a little bit younger, which is a little bit less expensive. I see it on Amazon right now at $16.99, and this is Game Rights Super Mega Lucky Box. Oh, man. Yes. So this is a absolutely fantastic game. One of our family games of the year that we reviewed in 2022. It is basically flip and write bingo with combos. It really has this definitively schoolhouse rocks kind of feel to the artwork. It's just a really great game and it's an absolute blast to play. I think you could play this really Seven to ninety nine is probably uh, what yeah. it says on the box, and that's exactly <laughs> or right. is what it should say. Yeah, right. exactly. Yeah, game right. We've talked about how they make their games inexpensively somehow. Everything in the box is great quality, but under twenty dollars for a super mega lucky box. And again, you should be able to find that relatively easy. Game right is pretty well distributed around the U.S. Mm-hmm. All right, so we've got three games that fit into an actual quote board game. <laughs> not a card game, not a roll and write. Okay. And the first one of these should probably not be a surprise. It is King Domino, which has become one of those modern classic games that you can find everywhere. Yeah, you can find this game at Target and Walmart and a lot of places like that. Blue Orange is in distribution. It's not difficult to find. And it is, in fact, under 20 bucks. So we've talked in the past, even in the last, I don't know, couple of months about how for us, King Domino Origins has kind of replaced King Domino in our family. Yes. But that doesn't mean that King Domino is a bad game. It's just that King Domino Origins happens to contain King Domino within it. Yeah, King Domino Origins does more. Right. Um, this is kind of like the Sushi Go, Sushi Go party thing. So mm-hmm. the original King Domino, if you're looking for a game under $20, that's a great way to go. And let's be fair, the rules are a little easier to explain than those of King Domino Origins. So I would definitely buy this as like a birthday gift for an eight or nine year old. Yeah, King Domino is great because... I don't know if everybody knows this, but you normally are building a five by five grid with your castle ostensibly in the middle, although I guess it doesn't really need to be in the middle. But the game supports up to four players with this five by five thing. If you are playing a two player game, you can build a seven by seven square and it is pretty seamless. I mean, your scores obviously are going to be higher, but if you know you're playing two players, you've got enough pieces in the box to play seven by seven and it just creates a little bit more like rich of an experience, which is super fun. So that is King Domino, the first of our air quote board games. Okay. Our second one has an actual central board. Yes, it it does. It is a board game. Yes, it does. This is Ticket to Ride New York. I mean, 
If you really want to play Ticket to Ride London, I think you could probably find that one for under twenty dollars as well. Or or the new one that's like San Francisco or something like yeah, that. Yeah. One? So yeah. these are smaller versions of Ticket to Ride. Ticket to Ride New York is the island of Manhattan instead of all of the United States. They play a lot faster. I think you can play through a game of Ticket to Ride New York in twenty to thirty minutes. It's just kind of a bite size appetizer, you know, size version of Ticket to Ride. For us in our family, it's kind of perfect because we find that Ticket to Ride, although we enjoy the game, does get a little bit long in the tooth. But Ticket to Ride New York is nice and short. So it kind of scratches that itch. It doesn't have a lot of the, you know, extra fancy stuff. So if you like, you know, Ticket to Ride Japan with the cool bullet trains or Heart of Africa with all the set collection or, you know, whatever, it doesn't have any of that stuff. But it's pretty London, much vanilla, but it's short. But London and San Francisco do add a little bit of their own flavor to the game. Yeah. It's also Ticket to Ride as a box is a fairly large size box. Ticket to Ride New York and San Francisco and London are a bit smaller. So if you do have a limitation on your space, they're, it's helpful in that way as well. Yeah, they're more like the King Domino size box. Even smaller, I think. They're not very thick. True. So so we highly recommend Ticket to Ride New York. All right. One more quote unquote board game. There's no board in this game. You create the board. (laughs) This is Deep Sea Adventure. Great, great game. This has been a preferred travel game for our family for a while, in part because it plays up to six players. You don't need a lot of space to play it, although you do need some kind of central table or something. And um, you get to drown each other. (laughs) Yeah, everybody dies in this game. While searching for treasure. Everybody dies in this game, especially the first time you play it. (laughs) So in Deep Sea Adventure, everybody has a shared oxygen supply, and you're only burning oxygen if you are trying to carry treasure back from the depths. And nobody ever thinks that you're going to run out of oxygen quite as fast as you do. And everybody does. And everybody dies. So Deep Sea Adventure is a ton of fun. They repackaged it and sell it at Target very inexpensively. It is a great game for... Changing your expectations on, <laughs> on yeah. I don't know, statistics, I guess. I'm not really sure which particular thread of mathematics that would all fall <laughs> under. But uh, it's a lot of fun. Great game from Oink Games. Small box as well. Yeah, the newer Target version is not quite as small, but it's still not a large box, and it's still only $20. All right, one more category of game for under $20, and that's party games. Okay. Similo comes back around here. Sure, 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 sure. <laughs> but we already talked plenty about that. How about just one more game? Boom! Just one <laughs> more game. The game is, in fact, just one. So this game, it really shocked me how much our family enjoyed playing this game mm-hmm. once we got into it. Yes, technically, you could do this with you know a couple pieces of paper and some clue cards or word cards or whatever but the components to just one are great little whiteboard easel stand things Mm -hmm. it works super well it doesn't take up a lot of room and in the box it accommodates for up to seven players not bad which is uh not bad for 20 bucks yeah i like that this game has those little panel things that are you know erasable so you're not generating a bunch of scrap paper trash kind of thing yes so i like that a lot yeah those dry erase easels are really Mm -hmm. great for a lot of reasons and they're really well designed they can hold the card you know they stand up nicely they're really good at erasing Mm -hmm. so all those things 
The only shortcoming we have to just one is that everybody needs to be able to read and write and also keep a secret. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, at one point with our toddler, we kind of, I, I mean, I guess he wasn't a toddler. I guess he was like four. He was like four, five. And he had learned how to keep secrets, kind of. <laughs> and we got him to sit next to an adult and then whisper to them what his clue would be after everybody else had written theirs. Right. So, I mean, it's workable. It's workable. But it's certainly a lot easier if uh, if that's not part of Where the we equation. are now. Yeah. <laughs> but it's a great game. Just One is another one that I would not hesitate to give as a gift to anybody. Sure. Yeah, it's very, very easy to play. Can I put in like a runner-up, like extra... I mean, sure, our top 10 already became 11 and a half. Um, So so technically right now, this game is $21.82 on Amazon, but I have seen it for sale for under $20. Suspicious. Even though its normal retail price is $35, and that is the game Pan Am. Okay. Um, If you see Pan Am for under $20, buy it. (laughs) That is my recommendation. Fair. Pan Am was our game of the year in 2020. The game is absolutely fantastic. It's very, very good. We rated it a 9.5 out of 10. I We talked about our board game Hall of Fame thing a couple of episodes ago. Pan Am was absolutely on that list, and we maintain that it deserves to be there. And if you can get it for under $20, which you can sometimes, you should pick it up. According to what I'm seeing on the internet, you can get it for under $20 right now at Kohl's. There you go. Go Kohl's. So that means it's not even a runner-up. It, like, actually fits on the list. I mean, if you buy it from Amazon, it's more than $20. So, uh... <laughs> All right. Well, anyway. All right. So why don't we do this? Why don't we go to the community? I don't know if this is necessarily backtalk because it wasn't really sent to us in that way. But it is it's fine. We asked. for us to go to the community. We asked. You were smart enough to ask before we recorded the show. Hey. Instead of during the show. So let's see what folks in the Family Gamers community said there were several recommendations for point salad yes point salad is a really good game point salad is a great card game also i was surprised i did not see anybody recommend love letter but someone did recommend the infinity gauntlet version of love letter yeah i guess this is kind of your uh whatever thing works out well for you kind of thing like what theme you really like because we have the batman love letter mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which you know i mean that's that's the one we're gonna play <laughs> Some longtime listeners of the show also recommended Deep Sea Adventure, uh, maybe because they have taken our recommendations in the past. (laughs) Yes. We also had some recommendations of King Domino. Mm -hmm. Seven Wonders Duel. Can you get Seven Wonders Duel for under $20? I think we did when we gave it to somebody as a gift recently. I think it was right around $20. All right. Yeah. um, That game is really good. That is is an excellent two-player game. So big ups to Allie for recommending Seven Wonders Duel. She also recommends Floriferous, Herbaceous, Shot and Toten and Conspiracy Abyss Universe. I don't know those last two games. I'm familiar with Shot and Toten, but I've never played it. Familiar with Shot and Toten. She also recommends Welcome to. Oh yeah, I totally missed that one. I mean, (laughs) look at that for for a roll and write. Yeah, you will get a lot of mileage out of Welcome to. Ironically, that was the other game that we bought when we bought someone Seven Wonders Duel. So (laughs) (laughs) I know, right? Uh, Good job. Way to be on the same page, Allie. Uh, Let's see. Jeff Johnson recommends Campfire Smokeout. 
which you've played, Anitra. I have played. If anyone's interested in Campfire Smokeout, you will have to contact Jeff Johnston because it is his game. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe he'll sell it to you for less than $20. I'm sure he will sell it to you for less than $20. All right. Joseph Renninger says it used to be Zombie Dice. Zombie Dice is Fair. a great selection. Fair. I think the new version might be more than $20 because they upgraded the materials, including that awful, awful cup that always used to fall apart. Well, I mean, look, all you had to do with the cup was just run a bead of glue around it and it wasn't going to fall apart anymore. Or tape it together or something, yeah. Yeah. He gives a fun fact that a nearby shop used to sell Zombie Dice for $13.13. By the way, Zombie Dice Deluxe $24.95, but you can probably find that on sale. Regular old Zombie Dice is still on sale on Amazon for $11. There you go. There you go. We also got another recommendation of The Crew. Abandon All Artichokes. That's another great Great card game from Mm -hmm. Right. Yep. Hanabi. Great game. Friday, which is best as a solo game. We didn't mention any solo games in this, so props for that one. That's pretty clever. Or Ganschen clever, if you're (laughs) still looking at German names. All right, Nick Martinelli had a bunch of recommendations. Buried Treasure from Restoration, Mm -hmm, which mm -hmm. is a great game that we cannot allow in our house because our kids would murder each other. Best Treehouse Ever from Green Couch Games. Sunny Day Sardines from 25th Century Games. Mintworks, Bonanza, and Sushi Go. I think the only one of those you're going to find in like a Target is Sushi Go. Uh, But those are all great small games that, assuming you can find them, you will find them for under $20. So thank you so much to all of the folks in the community who responded to my question, which was, what is your favorite board game under $20? Mm -hmm. And we shoved uh, a bunch of extras in there. We listed 12 games ourselves, plus the games from the community. So it was not, in fact, a top 10. We failed at that again. At least it wasn't a baker's dozen. I mean, maybe that would have made it better. (laughs) I don't know. I have no idea. But uh, that, I think, is going to be our list, Anitra. Yeah. If you want to tell us about what game you would buy for under $20, you can tell us in the community post that is already there. Or you can tell us directly on Facebook or Twitter or even on Instagram at Family Gamers AA. Mm-hmm. You can find us on TikTok there as well. Uh, don't forget to head over to YouTube to see our Snap reviews at The Family Gamers. Although that might be changing in the near future because they're releasing handles and we're going to see if we can get Family Gamers AA. Like everywhere else. Mm-hmm. You can, of course, email us. Andrew at thefamilygamers.com. Anitra at thefamilygamers.com. Check out our Family Gamers and Play Games with Your Kids merchandise. We've got t-shirts, hoodies, mugs, and more at thefamilygamers.com forward slash merch. Please don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. And thank you for subscribing to the podcast. Mm -hmm. Please tell your friends about the show if they have any interest in families and board games. And leave us a review so you can tell strangers about how we talk about families and board games. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you can also send us weird foods for science. Yep, you can send those foods to The Family Gamers, 60 Auburn Street, number 528, Auburn, Massachusetts, 01501. We love being able to eat those weird things on the show and let you live vicariously through <laughs> us and often through my pain. Uh, <laughs> oh, it's not so bad. Sometimes it is so bad. Nah, it's not so bad. Family Gamers is sponsored by First Move Financial. Head over to firstmovefinancial.com slash familygamers to learn how the team at First Move Financial can help you pile up the victory points. Thanks so much to First Move for sponsoring this episode of the show, and thank you for listening. All right, well, 
We've got some exciting stuff coming up in the next week. I'm looking forward to that game night this weekend. Yes. And until then, everybody, play Play games games with with your your kids. kids.